Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. So God has laid a word on my heart for tonight and I'm very excited about what He's going to do. And I am going to preach for about 25 minutes and then I'm actually going to teach and I'm going to give you some very practical tools that you can put in your hands because the Lord told me that my assignment for today was not to be funny. I like to be funny. Was uh, not to be T.D. Jakes, which is good because I'm nothing like T.D. Jakes. So thank you, Lord, for the release to just be me but actually to come to equip and empower the church. And it's really interesting that the thing he told me we were equipping and empowering for was related to the symbolism of arrows. And if you were here this morning, you would know that Pastor Raph actually preached a message on arrows. And so uh, I want to strongly encourage you to grab a hold of his message from this morning. Um, It'll go up on podcast and also on YouTube because it is very much a foundation for the little pathway that I'm going to take tonight. And also because I believe God is weaving something together for our house today. And when He does this, it means He's preparing and He's equipping His bride. And so I want to encourage you to lean into this morning's teaching and tonight's, not like they're from Raph and myself, but like God is speaking to His church and He's arising His bride. I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 to 20. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 20. This is Paul writing. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. There's good news for someone here tonight who thinks God can't use them. God can use you. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's our key scripture for tonight. Verse 18, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. There has been a phenomenon in the last couple of years that you will all know about. This phenomenon blew up the socials. It blew up Facebook, blew up the Twitter sphere. It was one man who finally honed the art or the craft of warring with his words. And he was so effective at warring with his words that he could incite violence. He's accused of that. 
he said some pretty powerful things all using social media. And you all know exactly who I'm talking about, the former president of the United States of America, President Donald Trump. He was so effective in warring with his words that his Facebook account was shut down, reactivated, shut down again. He couldn't live without warring with his little texting thumbs, so he got on his daughter-in-law's Facebook and had that shut down too. That's pretty embarrassing. He is the only man in living history who has been booted off Twitter permanently. He was so effective at warring with his words. There's another national leader who was once the Prime Minister of the UK. His name was Winston Churchill. He was a man who also knew how to war with his words. It was said of him that he mobilised the English language and sent it into battle. Winston Churchill mastered the art of mobilising the English language and sending it into battle. Tonight, I want to equip and empower you to mobilise your prophetic words and send them into battle. I have noticed that when it comes to the prophetic words that we receive, some of us are trusting in the sovereignty of God in a way that is not actually biblical. Warring with our prophetic words is a weapon in our spiritual armoury designed to annihilate the enemy's camp. In Ephesians 6 verse 12, we read, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, where? In the heavenly places. This describes that we're not in a war with other human beings. We're in a war with spiritual forces in the spiritual realm. 2 Corinthians 10 describes that God has actually equipped us for this spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. Weapons not of the flesh, but weapons that have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to obey Christ. You see, the spiritual warfare that we are all in, some of us like to pretend like we're not in one, well, we are, requires both our cooperation, not just our awareness, and our participation. It actually requires that we pick up the spiritual weapons that God has provided to us and for us. Have you noticed that there are not meant to be any spectators in the kingdom of God? All throughout the Bible, there is partnership and there is co-labouring. There's not spectatorship. Because God will not do our part. And no matter how hard we try, have those little duck legs like going under the surface, we actually can't do His. And if we don't do our part, the way kingdom works is that God's hands are tied behind his back and there's certain elements of blessing that he wants to pour out on your life that he has to withhold until we partner with him. This can look like this. You receive a prophetic word, perhaps at church or in life group or someone prays for you and you're like, that's nice, that's cute, that made me feel good and then you do nothing with it. This can sometimes be what church culture looks like. 
But can I tell you today, to do this is to fail to pick up one of the most prevalent weapons that God has given to us to aid us in destroying the opposition and actually in you walking in the fullness of the abundant life that Christ has purchased for you. You see, everything that was necessary and needed to be done for you to walk in freedom and abundant life, Jesus did, but God requires our partnership. I have noticed within church culture that at times, especially tell them when, when I tell them that I lead prophetic teams, people kind of get a bit weird. Um, and I can sense that a lot of people are actually frustrated with the prophetic. And because they're frustrated with it because they don't think it works, they kind of dismiss it a little bit. Can I tell you the problem's not with the prophetic? If there's frustration, the problem isn't with the declared word. There's power in God's word to create in your life. What is usually happening is that people are trusting and waiting for God to do the role that he has assigned to us. I don't think everybody heard me. (laughs) We get frustrated with the prophetic when we're sitting back waiting for God to do what He has clearly assigned to us in His Word. You see, when we trust God to do our role, and we go, I'm just trusting. I'm just trusting in the Lord. Can I, can I suggest to you tonight that maybe it's not trust, it's actually presumption? Wouldn't it be a whole lot easier if God was like, and here's what I declare over you and boom, it's done. That's not the way God works, I'm sorry to tell you. There's been some words in my life, 20 years, that it's taken for God to make me who He needed me to be before He could actually allow me to walk in the fulfilment of it. Some I would say I'll be walking in for a lifetime waiting. In the context of this letter we read together, This is the Apostle Paul, and he didn't have any natural sons. Had a bit of a revelation about Paul this week. Um, This is a squirrel, but that's okay. Um, In my head, the Apostle Paul is like, he should be a Greek god, right? I'm thinking like Braveheart. But actually, I had a revelation this week that he's more like Gargamel off the Smurfs. Because I was reading this, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I was reading this article and it was describing him and I was quite disappointed. And then I saw a clip of my kids were watching the Smurfs and I was like, that's what Paul looks like. Anyway, so Paul didn't have any natural children. But Timothy was the closest thing he had to a son. It was his spiritual son. And he had left Timothy in charge of the church that he had pioneered in Ephesus. What was happening was there was opposition coming against the church. Some false teachers had come in. We read about them. (laughs) So he talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander were two of those people who'd come in bringing a false doctrine. They were preaching all kinds of things about like subscribing to the rules and regulations of the old covenant. They were talking about like greed, all kinds of weird whack distortions of the gospel. 
So this was coming against the church that Paul had left Timothy in charge of. Not only that, but Timothy himself was weary and he was facing personal opposition in his leadership. And it's in this context that Paul went, what's the one thing I could tell my spiritual son to do to help him to war against what God has clearly called him to do? And he goes, you know what it is? I'm going to tell him to wage a good warfare with the prophecies previously made about him. And in so doing, he's giving him and us a key to spiritual warfare. What had been prophesied over Timothy further along in this letter, in 1 Timothy 4.14, we read about, it's described Timothy's commissioning. This was when he was set apart and the elders laid hands on him to lead the church in Ephesus. If you're looking for a reference, we did this recently with Pastor Jason and Olivia. We got them up here and some of the elders and the executive team, we laid hands on them, we commissioned them, we prophesied over them before they went out. Some of the team went over to Perth for the launch, the same thing happened again. Timothy had experienced this by Paul and the elders. And so in 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul says, don't neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. In The second letter that Paul writes to Timothy, he says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Again, referring to his commissioning. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, we're not given any detail in the word of the specifics of the gift that Timothy received when Paul laid hands on him. But what we are told is how Timothy can fan that gift into flame and how he can operate without fear. And it's to war with his prophetic words. Let's look again at verse 18 of our passage. It says, fight the battle well. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Now in Greek, be prepared to be amazed. In Greek, this is three little words, stratuo kalos stratea. I've been practising that for six months. Stratuo means going into war or a soldier in active service. Kalos means beautiful, magnificent, excellent in nature. Stratea is a military service that you are enlisted in. Now, Dan McCollum, an author on the prophetic, he takes the Greek meaning of these words and then he translates this verse this way. Take your prophetic words and engage in a noble campaign with them. Approach it like a military operation and formulate a strategy. Can I ask you a question? How many of us approach our prophetic words that way? How many of us come to them and approach them like a military operation with a formulated strategy or do we prefer just the nice little public pat on the back? I've noticed that one of the most defining factors of a prevailing Christian life is not necessarily how many prophetic words they receive but what they do with the prophetic word after they've received it. It's not so much what is declared, although that's powerful too, but it's what is done with what's been declared once it's been declared. 
You see, we must pick up the weapons that we've been given and use them. You know, historically in the church, when it comes to prophecy, there's been a couple of different schools of theology or thought, practice. The first is cessationists. They believe that when the original 12 apostles died, that all the gifts of the Spirit also died. And therefore, there is no prophecy anymore in the church. No prophecy in the New Testament church. There are many, many churches operating According to that belief, belief, I grew up in one of them all across this nation right now. The other school of thought is what, like, what I like to call the firmers. The firmers are all about affirming and confirming. So what they believe is the prophetic word is declared, but then you don't do anything with it. You sit back and you wait and you see. And if that thing comes to pass, that both affirms and confirms the prophet and the prophetic word. If it doesn't come to pass, that affirms and confirms that that's a false prophet and a false prophecy. These have been two of the major schools of thought in the Australian church for several years now. But I actually have a Bible too. And I don't see either of those. My Jesus that I read about, our Jesus, he did not say to his disciples, you know what, I'm going to have to leave you soon, but don't fret because when I leave, I'm going to give you a book. Now, anybody who knows me knows my value for this book and my value for the Word of God. So do not hear what I am not saying because this is a sword of the Spirit and it's one of the weapons in our armoury. But I'm not speaking on that tonight. I'm speaking on prophecy. So we need this book and we need the Word of God. But Jesus actually said to his disciples, I'm going to be gone from you soon, but guess what? It's better for you that I go away because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. In John 16, he said, and the Holy Spirit will declare things to you that are to come. Not that have already happened, but are to come. He will take what is mine, Jesus said, what exists in the mind of Christ, and the Holy Spirit will tell it to us, His disciples. Think about two Corinth, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 to 10. It says, What no eye has seen, ear has heard, heart of man imagined, God has revealed to us by who? The Holy Spirit. I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about the magnitude of each of those members of the Trinity in perfect communion, in perfect relationship. I want you to think about right from Genesis 1 when the Holy Spirit was there just hovering, hovering, waiting for the Word so that it could act, so that He could act. I never want to call the Holy Spirit an it. Please erase that and edit it. He was hovering. He was waiting for the Word so He could activate. All the way through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on a prophet. 
and they would speak the Word of God. We go to Matthew 1 and 2 alone, the birth of Jesus Christ and the involvement of the Holy Spirit in supernatural occurrences. He's right there. All the way through the New Testament till the final book, the closing chapter, which everyone knows has to be the best one, is a Holy Spirit revelation to the Apostle John. The Holy Spirit is on every page of your Bible. Now, when Jesus said, I'm gonna do everything that is necessary to forgive you of your sin, then I'm going back to my Father and I'm gonna leave you the Holy Spirit. God didn't go, oh, my little sons and daughters. How am I going to put the fullness of the Holy Spirit in them, I better dumb him down. I better give them a 10% version, watered down power version, some of what the Holy Spirit did in the pages of the Bible. I'll put it in a nice, neat little cube and then I'll put it in my cute little sons and daughters. You have the fullness of the Holy Spirit inside of you right now. Whatever you read in the pages of your Bible, the same power, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you right now. Why on earth would God, would Jesus do everything necessary to give us a Holy Spirit and then not do what Jesus said He would do, reveal to us what is to come? Why on earth would God give us a Holy Spirit who can't actually tell us what no eye has seen, ear has heard, heart of man can imagine? That's not the Holy Spirit that God's given me. That's not the Holy Spirit God's given you. And I know right now you're making mental assent, but can I gently ask you a question? Are you living like you believe you have a 10% Holy Spirit? Jesus himself picked up the words his father declared over him and he warred with them. In Matthew chapter three, Jesus was baptised. This voice comes from heaven. Some people mistook it. Don't be surprised if other people mistake the voice of God over your life. You just need to know what you heard. And he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And just a few days later, here's Jesus face to face with Satan. What does he go after? What the Father just declared over him, if you are the Son of God. I wanna give you a little key to Satan who's getting a good butt kicking today. Well done, Pastor Raph, I'm all about it. He always poses questions. Jesus only ever affirms you. The enemy will accuse you. Jesus will never accuse you and he will never question you because he knows who you are because he made you that way. So Satan's like, if, you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. He's like, come on, Jesus, supernatural baker's delight. But Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every rhema that comes from the mouth of God. We often misread this passage. Yes, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy, correct. But when he says every word that comes from the mouth of God, he means every spoken word that comes from God's mouth. And so Jesus was literally standing up to Satan after 40 days of no food. 
I'd probably be like a bit slumped, but Jesus is like He-Man up to Satan and He's like, you're not gonna tempt me into working my way to what the Father has already declared over me. Can I encourage you today, when you receive a prophetic word, that's not so that you can go doing all the earthly works to make that thing happen. You need to believe what God has declared over you. Pick those words up and war with them in the spiritual realm and trust the timing to God. You see, not warring with our words is actually a form of quenching the Holy Spirit and treating prophecy with contempt. There is nobody, I believe, in this room who would ever say, I want to quench the Holy Spirit. That's not what we're about. No one in this room who would say, I treat prophecy with contempt. We just, we just wouldn't last long in this church culture, right, if that was really our attitude. <laughs> I mean, why would you come? We're all about it. And yet some of us, in the way we're approaching the words we receive, we're actually doing this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22 says, do not quench the Spirit. What's one of the ways we quench the Spirit? Despising prophecy. What's the answer? Test everything and hold fast what is good. We are called to value the prophetic words that are spoken over us. Thank God that we've heard from Him. And then wage warfare with them. I had the absolute privilege, one of the surprises of COVID, my friend Roman Waterman is here. And uh, yeah, give her a cheer, she's awesome. <laughs> Such a gift to my life. And together, her and I got to lead a, um, an online group for the Bethel School of the Prophets. It was awesome, we had people from all across the world developing prophetic gifts and we got to spend every day with them for a week. It was really cool. Anyway, in the first session, Pastor Bill Johnson, if you haven't heard of him, he's this preacher in America who's kind of doing okay. Kind of leading an okay church. So he was the first person to speak and he spoke on valuing the prophetic. And he gets out this iPad and he said, this iPad only has prophetic words on it, personal prophetic words, nothing else he keeps on there. So he's got written prophetic words that have been transcribed, videos, voice recordings. And whenever another one of those headlines comes out about him or his church, or wherever, whenever something's going on in his family, or he's just feeling a little bit discouraged, that's what he reaches for. And he watches them, and he listens to them, until he feels his spirit shift and change. You see, that's what the prophetic is purposed to do in our life. This is a man who values the prophetic in his life. I found it so inspiring. In the same way that we should value the Bible and the Word of God. The Word of God is infallible. Prophecy does come through a human vessel. I don't have time to go into that today, but what I do wanna encourage you to do is to value it when somebody prophesies over you. Value that it's God's voice. And I'm gonna teach you in a moment how to test and weigh the Word and how to war with it. You see, the prophetic has purpose in your life and it's not just to make you feel good. Your probs do that too. But that's not the only reason that you're getting prophesied over the prophet. The prophetic confronts false mindsets and sinful thought patterns with new mindsets. In 1 Corinthians 14, 3, we read the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement and consolation. I wanna break down those words for a moment because it's very important that we have a measure 
For the prophetic words we receive and give. New Testament prophecy, that first word, upbuilding, is oikodeme. It means to construct something, to build something. It's the same word that Jesus himself used when he said, I will build my church. Very interesting to me that Paul says, I want you all, I I want you all to prophesy, eagerly desire the spiritual gift of prophecy. Why? Because it builds the church. It partners with the primary ministry of Jesus building his church, oikodeme, constructing, literally like a house being built. The second word, encouragement, is paraklesis. That comes from the same root word as parakletos, which is the Holy Spirit, the helper. The prophetic will come into your world and it will encourage you, comfort you and console you just like the Holy Spirit. The final word, consolation, is paramithia. That's that moment, you know, when someone comes and they prophesy over you and you didn't even realise you had that tender spot in your heart. And the moment you hear their words, you know God's doing deep surgery in your heart. Paramithia means to meet you right at your point of injury. This is what the prophetic is meant to do. Not just when you receive them, but over and over and over and over and over again. So now I want to get really practical and I plan to get there in 25 minutes, but 35 whatevs. I'm, I want to equip you today. So musicians, you're going to hang tight backstage for a few minutes. I want to first talk about the process of prophecy. It's actually three stages in prophecy. The first, and maybe you want to get your phones and take a photo of this, revelation, interpretation, and application. Most of what you see in church is the revelation moment. Most of what you see in life group is the revelation moment where Somebody is literally hearing and seeing what God sees. It's revealed to a human vessel by the Holy Spirit and then communicated to another human being. That's the process of prophecy and revelation. Heaven's perspective revealed to a human being by the Holy Spirit and declared on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven to earth. That's the revelation part interpretation. This is where we take what has been revealed and we interpret what it might mean. Often God speaks symbolically. So this may be part of the interpretation. And often He will speak in a language that is the symbolism of your life, not the prophet's. This is why prophets or prophetic ministries often have a blank look in their face when you go to them after the service and you're like, what do you think that that picture might mean? God is communicating in your language. He's that personal. And actually prophetic ministries, we can get in trouble when we feel pressure to interpret. Sometimes God will give the revelation and the interpretation. Oftentimes, It's the revelation and the interpretation is part of your journey of becoming more like Christ, of building the spiritual mainframe on the inside of you to stand up under the weight of the fulfilment. So to try and shortcut what it all means might mean that you actually can't handle the fulfilment of the Word. I wanna give you an important element of interpreting which is testing and weighing the Word. This is biblical. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21, 
It's speaking about the spiritual gift of prophecy from 1 Corinthians 12. And it talks about attesting the Word. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, note that down, is speaking about prophets, five-fold prophets. And it still says, test away the Word. So whether you receive the Word from a prophetic ministry or a seasoned prophet, we still have a responsibility to test and weigh the Word. How do you do that? These questions coming up here. Is it consistent with God's character and word? Does it resonate with me? Pretty awkward if they're prophesying about kids you don't have. How do family, friends and leaders who love me feel about the word? I wanna encourage you, don't hold your prophetic words so tight that you think someone else could steal it. The assumption in the New Testament is that everything we're instructed to do would be done in community. And actually that second scripture in 1 Corinthians 14 talks about two or three prophets in community weighing the prophetic word. Prophecy and prophetic words are for community. Nothing in the Bible is for individualism. So how do your family, friends and leaders who love you feel about the word? Do I trust the source? And this isn't like, that's a bad source. That's a good source. This is, does the person who prophesied over me, because they're a human vessel, right? Do they have anything to gain by prophesying this over me? Do they have any reason to try and manipulate me? Doesn't mean we're going on a witch hunt to get rid of all the false prophets at all. It means we just understand we're all human and we're all growing. And does it glorify God and draw me closer to Jesus? Prophetic words or dreams that come from God will have Jesus in the spotlight, probably not you. A key thing to remember when testing and weighing, and I want you to jot this down, keep the meat, spit out the bones, not throw the baby out with the bathwater. That means that you can receive after you've tested and weighed elements of the Word whilst discarding others. It doesn't mean you throw the whole Word out. It means we have to do the hard work with the Holy Spirit of testing and weighing the Word. You see, in the Old Testament, if a prophet got a detail wrong or it didn't come to pass, they got stoned. And I don't mean the fun stoned, I mean the dead stoned. Because the prophet was judged. In the New Testament, under the ministry of reconciliation, the work of Jesus Christ, we test and we judge the Word, not the prophet. Can I tell you that just because somebody can prophesy doesn't mean that's not an indication of spiritual maturity. You can be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit at 902 and prophesy at 904. Who knows, you can't abide very long in that two minutes and produce a whole lot of spiritual fruit. Don't be thrown off the prophetic because somebody who was new in God prophesied through a human vessel, perhaps the correct message, but potentially not all the right fruit of the Spirit, words and approach. We can still, in fact, mature Christians will be able to keep the meat and spit out the bones at all times. You see, in the New Testament, there is equal responsibility on both the prophet or the prophetic ministry and the recipient because we have the same Holy Spirit. So we don't get any shortcuts in this. Sorry about that. 
Okay, um, I am zooming, sorry. So, application for warring with your words on this point three. I just want to give you a few little foundations before I show you some very practical ways to apply. It's important to understand that when you're listening to somebody be uh, receive a prophetic word and you're like, <laughs> they clearly don't know them. <laughs> Not at all. That prophet mustn't be accurate. Actually, New Testament, New Covenant prophecy will address potential, not necessarily our present condition. When we war with our words and we learn how to apply them, a major shift begins to take place on the inside of us. What begins to happen is we begin to live up into the fullness of what God has declared over our life. Our appetite as we stay step by step with the Spirit begins to change We're aware of who God says we are through the finished work of the cross and we begin to live up higher than we've ever lived before. We no longer see ourselves as bound to our present identity or circumstance, but we get introduced to heaven's perspective. Okay, let's get uh, practical. I'm going to show you a prophetic word on the screen that I received uh, in 2019. This was from uh, Pastor Jane Evans, who's the senior pastor of Influences Church in Adelaide. And here's what she prophesied over me. You were born with a sword in your hand. You are a fierce warrior. Your spirit has an impact on those around you. You assault the kingdom of darkness. You are like Lagertha. I had to Google who Lagertha was. Here she is. That's Lagertha. So, you know, when I have the honour of worship leading you guys and I do a couple of little routine dances and then I come back up here all the time and I'm like looking at the screen and you all think like, can she not see the words? Here's what I'm doing in the spirit. I'm going back up here and I'm going, which arrow now, Lord? What do you want me to fire now, Jesus? And in my head and my heart, oh Lord, I'm pulling... Oh, imagine I got one of those out and I look just like the Gertha right now and I come forward and it into the atmosphere. That went so well. So glad that you've got the mind of Christ and you can see what was prophesied over me. What Pastor Jane didn't know was that just a few days earlier, I was grieving the birthday of my son who is in heaven. His name is Elisha Jai. And I had a visionary encounter as I was grieving and the Lord showed me my boy, 15. At the time, he's older than that now, but 15. And in it, the Lord was kind enough to show me his role in heaven. And he works in a workshop and he makes arrows. And the Lord showed me what he writes on the tips of those arrows. I love you, mama. And then on the other side, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Then my boy said to me, mum, When you fight with a malady, I sharpen these arrows. And then when you pick them up and you fire them into the atmosphere, we're working together for the kingdom of God. This is one of the ways that I appropriate 
the prophetic words that have been spoken over my life is I have little visuals that I do in front of all of you, which is hopefully you won't have to do it that way. So how did I interpret and apply this word? I'm going to give you two steps before I wrap up. When you receive a prophetic word, write it down. If we can pop up that one. So see here. What I did was I work through the, I filter through the word and I'm looking for identity statements. So then I turn this into a bunch of I am statements. I am a fierce warrior born with a sword in my hand. I am impacting those around me. I am assaulting the kingdom of darkness. I am like Ligurtha. And I have that listed out for every prophetic word I've received for the last five years. So the Bible will give you your corporate identity in Christ. I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, I'm set free, I'm loved, I'm enough, uh, etc. Prophetic will give you personal, supernatural, heavenly identity. So when I'm freaking out about having to preach or freaking out about having to worship lead, I can get out my phone where I keep all of these. I go through all the ones the Bible tells me and then I go through all the ones that prophetic words have prophesied over me. What am I doing? I'm warring with my words. The second thing that you can do, if we can pop up the word from uh, Dr. Michael Maiden, he said this, I see you, Stacey, like the conductor of an orchestra of prophetic people. You see prophetic talent and awaken it. You're going to see more and more people rising up. It's because it's the right time. Some things haven't happened yet because the time wasn't right and so the time is right. So you can see, I am a conductor of prophetic people. I am able to see talent and awaken it. Then the next thing is you pull out promises and you form crafted thank you statements that become prayers. Thank you for promising that I will see more and more people rising up. Thank you for saying the time is right. So when I come to my prayer time, I can pull out all my promises and thank you statements, and I got prayers for days just based off prophetic words that I have received. That's just two very simple ways you can war with your words. Band, you can come. The enemy knows that when we lose identity, we relinquish our authority. So the prophetic is purpose to remind you who you are. The Bible will give you collective identity. Prophecy will give you personal identity. I want to ask you a question. If we could for a moment think of our prophetic words like checks that God has personally written out for us over our lives. How many uncashed checks do you have in your home? When my kids were little and they were learning to talk, we had this phrase in our home. They'd get frustrated with stuff and they couldn't fully form their words yet. They would throw things, they would get real frustrated and Jai and I would say to them, use your words, church you're frustrated right now, if you're feeling stuck right now, use your words. I want you to stand to your feet. Father God, we thank You for this beautiful gift that has come because of the work of Jesus who said, it's better that I go away because then I can send You the Holy Spirit. I thank You that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gift of prophecy. 
I thank You that in Ephesians 4, You said that when Christ ascended, You sent the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers. Without fear, we welcome the prophetic in this atmosphere and in this church. Father, I pray for every person who's perhaps sensed frustration with prophetic words. Why isn't it coming to pass? God, I pray that there will have been some practical tools tonight that they will rise up into all You have declared over their lives. Father, I am praying that the Holy Spirit would come and search our hearts right now. Remind us of any uncashed checks we've got laying around in the lounge room. Speak to us now, for You have given us this weapon and we understand we're in a spiritual battle. God, would You show us the specific arrows that You have declared over our lives that You want us to fire into the spiritual atmosphere so that the Kingdom may be extended, Jesus may be lifted high and all men would come unto Your Son. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.